Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is Abby and I'm part of the comms team here at Leichhardt Uniting. We are a church based on Gadigal and Wongal land here in Sydney, Australia. You'll find us at Leichhardt Uniting Church luck on Facebook. Sermons are on YouTube under the same name and you can find out more about our church and our team at leichhardtuniting.org.au. In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, Reverend Adrian Sukumar White is unlocking the affirmation of faith, drawing upon Colossians 1, 15-20. This is the third episode in a four-part series on unlocking lack liturgy, originally preached during January 2022. I will be providing the reading ahead of the sermon. This is the Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15-20 to from the New Revised Standard Version. For one who believes with the heart and is so justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved, the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in the one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Thus ends the reading. Please enjoy the following sermon. Let me paint you a picture. You've been sitting in church for almost an hour, or maybe even over an hour, and the final song is introduced. And you're thinking, great, we're almost done. I'll soon be able to grab my coffee, or go to the bathroom, or take my mask off, or get moving with my rest of Sunday plans. The song finishes, you think you're free and clear, and then bam, you're hit with the affirmation of faith. And the expectation that you will recite this fairly substantial piece of piece of text with the rest of the congregation. And so you play along without really thinking about the words that you're saying because you're too eager just to get to the end. Now this is of course a pretty cynical picture. But for those of us who heard week one of this sermon series on unlocking lock liturgy, you might remember that part of the purpose of the prayer of confession is to enable you to bring your real self to church, not just some happy, perfect, fake version. And that means that we're not always going to be at our best at church. We're not always going to be as present as we might hope to be, and sometimes our cynical selves will take part in worship. But as we explore the role of, and purpose of an affirmation of faith in today's sermon, Know this, part of the value of an affirmation of faith is that it is actually okay for us to have those cynical experiences every now and then. But I'll have more to say on that a bit later. But let's start by thinking about what an affirmation of faith is. In short, it is a series of belief statements, an attempt to articulate some of what we believe. Often at luck, our affirmations of faith are created specifically to represent this community. 
Sometimes we might dwell into the repertoire of the Uniting Church or other churches and denominations from around the world. And of course, there are several scripture passages that can be considered as affirmations of faith, including the one we've just heard from Colossians. And then on occasion, we'll go completely old school and connect with one of the church's ancient creeds, which are really just affirmations of faith. But when we get to the creeds of the church, there can be a lot of expectation placed upon them. They're given a status of significance and thus are often divisive within the church today as to whether they're valuable or whether they're just an old relic that we shouldn't really worry about anymore. But ultimately, when we are talking about the creeds of the church, whether it be the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or any of the countless others, we are essentially talking about affirmations of faith. We are talking about statements of belief. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe. And just like our uh, more recent affirmations of faith, the numerous creeds of the early church were developed for a variety of reasons. The theologian and friend of luck, Ben Myers, has written a book on the Apostles' Creed, which is partly based on a series of sermons he did on the Apostles' Creed right here in this church. In fact, you can still find them on our YouTube channel. They're pretty amazing. But he writes that the Apostles' Creed was a grassroots confession of faith. It was an indigenous form of the ancient church's response to the risen Christ. He goes on to say that later generations of believers sometimes said that each of the 12 apostles had written one line of the creed, hence the name the Apostles' Creed. It is a charming legend that conveys a deep truth that the baptismal confession is rooted in the faith of the apostles and ultimately in the word of the risen Christ himself. The concept of the Apostles' Creed as a baptismal creed continues in the church today. It is even featured as part of the baptisms we have held here in this building over the past few years. In contrast, though, the Nicene Creed, the other big creed, was formed from meetings of bishops in the 4th century CE. Its formation had a specific purpose in mind, which was to address what is now known as the Arian controversy. A clergyman from, uh, named Arius from Alexandria, who was eventually deemed a heretic by the church, had differing ideas about the nature and substance of God the Father and God the Son, using the language of the time. In short, Arius believed that God the Son was of a different substance than God the Father, and thus on a different, somewhat lower level. This went against the orthodox position that God the Father and God the Son were of the same substance, equal in nature alongside the Holy Spirit as the Trinity. Now, if your response to this shocking revelation of theology is, so what... Well, I don't really blame you, but for the early church, this was seen as an incredibly big deal. Big enough for Emperor Constantine of Rome, the first Christian emperor to order the the church's bishops to gather in what is now known as the Council of Nicaea to resolve it. And one of the outcomes of this council was the Nicene Creed. Now, the Nicene Creed is a fairly hefty creed, so I'll leave it to you to read in your own time, but one line of the creed in the section about Jesus reads, begotten, not made, 
of the same essence of, as the Father. And of course, this was put in the Creed to solid, solidify the Orthodox position and attempt to put the Arian controversy to bed. And to some extent it did. Arian was labelled, Arius was labelled a heretic and the Nicene Creed has been one of the central documents of the Christian Church. But it also galvanised a lot of Arius's supporters and created significant tension inside and outside the church for years to come. Now, I could go on and on about early church history, which is a lot more fascinating than you might assume, or we could talk more about some of the other ancient creeds. But the core idea here is that creeds and affirmations of faith are, in essence, teaching documents. They are about educating people into the faith. In the case of the Nicene Creed, it was in part about educating people into a specific area of belief that was being challenged. For the Apostles' Creed, it was more about educating those who were exploring baptism, giving some sort of picture of what this call to faith is. Lorraine Bro writes, The creeds were originally teaching documents at home in baptismal catechesis, learned by heart by baptismal candidates and then used in the celebration of baptism itself. And so when it comes to our own affirmations of faith, they are opportunities for us to share what we believe in this community, to articulate the often unique expressions of faith in which this community participates. And it's also worth our recognising the, pl the place that affirmations of faith usually take within the liturgy, or at least for us, that within the fourfold pattern of gathering, of hearing the word, of responding to the word and being sent out, the affirmation of faith is placed in the final section. It is part of our sending out. And so its purpose then is to be reminded of what it is that we believe as we are sent out into the world to live what we believe in light of the word that we have received through scripture and sermon. But the question you might be wondering is, what if I don't believe in the words of, that of a particular affirmation of faith? And of course, it is easier for us to use the ancient creeds as an example here, due to their archaic language and seemingly irrelevancy, but we should definitely ask the same questions of our own affirmations of faith. I've got a few things to say in response. And the first is that any creed or affirmation of faith is ultimately incomplete. Often I think the church may have forgotten this and presents its creeds as somehow perfect and infallible. But you only need to look at part of the Apostles' Creed as an example. Can you go to the next slide, Rads? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He suffered uh, and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into de death. He descended into hell, sorry. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now we could spend a lot of time poking holes and arguing about the content of this section. 
But that's not what I want to draw your attention. But what I actually want to draw your attention to is what is not there. Note the lines, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. Do you see what's missing? Only the entirety of Jesus' life and ministry, which I would argue is at least as important as Jesus' birth and death and resurrection. But rather than this being a criticism of the Apostles' Creed, it is worth noting that the Nicene Creed is very sim- it's worth noting that the Nicene Creed is very similar at this point. This is more a recognition for us that creeds are always going to be incomplete. There is always more that could be said. If you've ever attempted to write a statement of faith for yourself, you might have felt that tension. And it's why our affirmations of faith at luck are often on the longer side because we just want to encompass so much of our faith experience as we can despite it being an ultimately futile endeavour. In my mind at least, the the closest the church has ever gotten to a complete affirmation of faith is from what we usually recognise as the earliest Christian creed. And here it is. Jesus is Lord. That's it. Jesus is Lord. But even as I say that, I note the tension in myself that, to want to elaborate. There is always more that can be said. So creeds and affirmations of faith are always incomplete. And because they are incomplete, I don't think we necessarily need to always agree on, with everything. The other thing to say is that affirmations of faith are communal in nature. They're not intended to be an individual statement. We recite them together as an act of community, as an act of engaging in communal faith, as opposed to personal faith. Now, personal faith is important, but so is communal faith. If you took two people who claim to be Christian and compared every element of what they believed as an individual... I don't think you would ever see any two match exactly. And so communal faith is the meeting place where we discover the things that we as followers of Jesus agree upon and where we disagree. In our conversations with those who were baptised and confirmed at Pentecost last year, questions were raised about the Apostles' Creed, which is part of the baptismal service, and whether people believed in everything that the Creed contained. And I remember what Radhika said about it, because it's one of the wisest things I've heard from her, which says a lot as she is very wisdomous. She said, and I'm paraphrasing, that because the creed is communal, you don't need to personally believe everything, because chances are someone will. So if you step through the creed, line by line, and ask the community to raise their hands if they believed in a particular statement, you would likely always see at least one hand raised. Of course, the hands would change from statement to statement, but ultimately we could hold the Apostles' Creed together through our communal faith. There is a wonderful image in Exodus chapter 17 where we hear Moses as he watches a battle of the Israelites and the Amalekites. We pick it up at verse 11. Brad? 
Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the sun set. This is the church, holding up the arms of the other when they can no longer do so, holding faith for one another when we can't hold it for ourselves. And so for those times when you do bring your cynical self to church, when the words of affirmation of faith feel just like empty words, that's okay. Because in that moment, your siblings in Christ are holding faith for you. And of course, there are times when you will be able to hold it for others. So as we share in an affirmation of faith together later in the service, I invite you to keep this in mind, that we are sharing in an expression of living lives of faith together, that we are holding faith for one another, that we are educating new members into faith, and we are preparing ourselves as we step out into the world, doing our best to live out the faith that we hold. That is both our gift and our challenge. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of As Luck Would Have It, proudly presented by Leichhardt Uniting Church. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and feel free to leave a rating or review. And you can also visit our website and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Have a great day.